Welcome to the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio. It's Chef Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotirold, Chef in the Hat. Coming to you from the beautiful Hotel Andra here in downtown Seattle. It's the Hot Stove Society Kitchens, where we do classes, uh, professional events, uh, social events. Yet last night we had a beginning knife cutting class. That they sell out every time. It's, it's so interesting. People still need knife skills. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, so I, desperately. Yeah. We should probably offer it a couple times a month. Yeah, we we always forget. We chef always forget. Then there are plenty of people who are still using grandma's unsharpened knife in the <laughs> kitchen. Yeah, and because they just don't know any better. Every every month, chef, we do a coconut cream pie class. Which is super fun, and I've got—I um, can't remember what I've got coming up for classes. We'll look into that, but uh, it's super fun to come hang out. Uh, we love it when you guys join us. Just go to hotstovesociety.com. We've got a big show, two hours long for you today. We're going to welcome in cookbook author Maggie Zhu, uh, whose uh, new book Chinese Home Style is packed with ninety recipes, uh, which she says are packed with umami. Yeah, so and um- I also like the ideas more than the. Uh, I mean, I like the recipes, but I like the ideas with the recipes. Many um, nice little advice on how to cut, how to slice, how to prep, you know, which, and also... With great pictures, too. Pictures of all the different sauces, because me, even as a chef walking through a Chinese supply store, uh, there's many words I don't know, many things I don't really know what's in the jar, yet I want it. So it's nice to have somebody clarifying all those basics. Yeah, I totally agree. So we're going to talk with her. I love the picture on the front of the book. It's my, one of my favorite type of meals, which is just a big bowl of spicy noodles. Yum. Um, and then in spicy noodles, I like doing chopped cucumber and chopped bell pepper, you know, sweet Fresh things greens. to, go with, to yep. go with it. Yeah. Ordinary to extraordinary. We're going to doll up some cream cheese today. You know, Chef uh, Pam Hinckley here, our producer, uh, was instrumental in helping us make veggie rub because she's a veggie fanatic right not that i'm not but she she i think you're the you deserve credit for turning me on to veggies she lives the lifestyle a little bit better than i do uh homemade crackers have you made homemade crackers not lately no i have and i do think it's worth it that's the question so we're going to talk about that uh getting the most out of mushrooms roasted grilled or sauteed i like them every which way you and I are going to have a little challenge today. Pamela oh. likes to kind of pit us against each other, even though we're best of buddies. Yeah. She likes to try and create tension. It's all right. We won't let her. We won't let her. <laughs> it's, make four things from one chicken. Where is the tension? <laughs> you look very it's relaxed. Just, it's just attention <laughs> as opposed to tension. Right. Four things from one chicken. So it has to be a meal, Chef. Are you going to be able to do this in a succinct way? It, uh, I, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. This good. is not the segment yet to talk. All right. Lastly, we're going to play our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Rub with Love sponsored game at the end of the show like we always do. It's a, it's a crowd favorite. Rub with Love spices are handcrafted, versatile rubs, sauces, and marinades to give you a more flavorful, successful kitchen. Uh, taste of the week, chef. I did um, my taste this week. is <coughs> very appropriate for uh, talking about Maggie Zhu, later on. I went to China Arbor. Have you been to China Arbor in the last few years? You know, I had my company party there maybe 10 years ago. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think I've been back since. Yeah. Um, I think it's worth a trip back. Uh, for me, it was the same thing. I haven't been more than that, 15 years probably. And uh, I was really enchanted with the dim sum. Went to the place. It was 
sadly enough, it wasn't very busy. Uh-huh. Um, I wish that place would be much busier because it deserved, the food was really delicious. The portions are bigger than I expected, you know, but the, the nice little wrapped in uh, uh, stewed rice, you know, with a nice little cut of sausage in there, all kind of different beautiful little dim sum items that were very common, but yet very deliciously done. Chef Dana, which is the chef of Vivian Bistro mm-hmm. on Mercer Island, she was, she's the one in charge of that kitchen. Beautiful work. I want to give a plug to that place because I want them to be able to bring it up and spiff it up to today. But more importantly, the food, you know, ultimately you go to a place to eat because you want to eat. Right. So the food is the most important part. That was definitely great. Service was fabulous. And, but the place needs a little needs energy. Some yeah, it's a big, it's a big, big place. I mean, <laughs> it's we, a t- huge place. we had a party of 400 there. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And they do lots of weddings. And they yeah. have a beautiful view of Lake Union, Correct. too. Yeah. So, anyway, I would, I would recommend to go there on a, on a weekday for a brunch or, you know, whatever you want to eat. But, um, so, you, you like the Normai Guy, right? The, yes. Which is the sticky rice, the glutinous right. rice in lotus leaf. Correct. Yeah. And uh, I also like the, the turnip cake. Lobaco. Lobaco. And uh, the uh, radish cake. It's daikon radish cake. Yeah, yeah exactly. Almost <laughs> the, like a turnip. So. Yeah. The shrimp. Uh, we Shumai. Had, there's a hagao, which is the little yeah. shrimp dumpling with kind of the crystal beautiful wrap stuff. on it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, wrapped in that rice dough. You mm-hmm. know, it's really beautiful stuff. Um, but anyway, everything had the beautiful flavor, well-seasoned, fresh, you know, it tasted fresh. Um, I was very impressed by the quality of the wood. In comparison, of, there was nobody in that restaurant. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, we need some music and some help. Our here. listeners will come now. Please go. The portions are big. You take some and food free home. parking. And it's free parking. And then you could go for a beautiful walk around the lake. Oh, Yeah. Absolutely. I've never walked around Lake Union. Have it's you? It's so fun. Yeah, several it's times. Different, it's so different than Green Lake. So then. many different neighborhoods. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful walk. It's a big oh, walk. I've never done that. China Harbor. I'll give them a plug because I thought that was a worth a visit for the food. For sure. Uh, my taste of the week. Boy, there's so many things uh, that are so delicious. Uh, I had... Um, I told you last week I cooked the Labuznik dinner out of my second cookbook, Tom's Big uh-huh. Dinners. And uh, with it, I was like a return to the 1980s, uh, you know, favorite things that I had had at his restaurant for years and years and years. And uh, we made the chocolate mousse. I was just going to ask you about that because you mentioned that. Yeah, it had a little Grand Marnier in it. Uh, (laughs) uh, For some reason, I had no Grand Marnier, so we used Cointreau. uh, And it was just, it's just such a blast from the past. And a little whipped cream on top. And Jackie had uh, candied some blood orange zest. So the chocolate mousse, though, what a flavor. Memory. That's a great recipe. It's a flavor we made it memory. here not long ago. Did you? It's spectacular. Yeah, I it's... used to make, when I was in Chicago in 1978 to 81, I used to make batches two times a week. And we put in pipe in cup, you know, yeah, in, in exactly. martini glasses. So pretty. And that was a chocolate mousse. But I used to make, I mean, a batch like of chocolate mousse. I tell you, you didn't want to miss that one. When I opened uh, Cafe Sport as the chef in 1984, we had a black and white chocolate mousse. So we oh, did yeah. a, a chocolate mousse and then a white chocolate mousse. Sure. I can't remember what we garnished with, but it was really kind of took me right back to the mid-80s when all that was so popular. Okay, up next, it's Maggie Zhu, author of Chinese Homestyle. Let's uh, jump into the middle of her tasty new book. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. 
It's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen Show on Cairo Radio. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. We are thrilled that you're joining us today. Hopefully you're in the kitchen near your walk. You're going to love these next two segments uh, right here on the Hot Stove Show. Uh, Maggie Jew is here. She's, uh, her new book called uh, Chinese Homestyle is a plant-forward book that demonstrates the impact of aromatics and of homemade sauces and condiments on your cooking. It's been a super helpful guide uh, to stock my Chinese pantry because I end up with so much stuff and then I don't ever finish it. I buy all the little ones at the at the Wajamaya or places like that. So hopefully Maggie can... Uh, Maggie, hopefully you'll help me figure out what to do with some of these sauces that I have in my fridge. Sounds good. You're coming to us from New York today. Is that true? Yes. Awesome. Great to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So everyday plant-based recipes for takeout, dim sum, noodles, and more. On the cover of your book, I have to just start with that because it looks to me like it's uh, my favorite, which is the spicy chili crisp with uh, green onions and peanuts on noodles. Is that what's on the cover of your book? Yes, it's dandan noodles. With, you know, dandan noodles, The one with yeah. the chili, yeah, chili, yeah. chili sauce. I just love that style of eating. Uh, Tell us about your book and about you and the Omnivore website and all the things that are Maggie Jew. Uh, so I started my blog back in 2013, sharing uh, Chinese recipes. A lot. I started sharing by sharing uh, my family's recipes, like most of them like from my mom and my grandma. And it developed, kind of like developed over the years. And now I just share everything Chinese cooking uh, related, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from from uh, pantries, like all kinds of cooking techniques. Sometimes I even do a little bit of restaurant reviews. And, but most, uh, for, for the most part, is uh, I want to really uh, present how to make Chinese dishes, like, you know, takeouts or dim sums or noodles and dumplings and how to make it easily in your own home kitchen. And this book, I take some of the recipes into plant-based. So it's a full uh, vegan cookbook where I share, you know, all the basics, like what do you need for your pantry, like the uh, the sauces and how to make those your favorite soups and dumplings and takeout at home. So your your stated goal is your uh, with the omnivore website is your is to help more people get to know real Chinese food and expose lesser known regional cuisines. <laughs> So what, what is the difference between what we're buying and what you can or what we're seeing in the, the marketplace, either at the restaurants or in, at the grocery stores and what is real Chinese food? Uh, so I feel like um, I wouldn't say it's like real or not real, but I do feel like uh, what I've been eating growing up in China is quite different from here because our diet has content uh, like the majority of the, the meals are contents of vegetables mm-hmm. and we do use a little bit of meat here and there but contrary to what people think we don't use that much sugar and deep fried unlike i feel like here in the u.s like the some of the most popular dishes are fried mm-hmm. and uh, with uh, like a very heavy sauce so you know it's a mo- uh, it's like it can be a brown sauce or a different type but they're usually quite sweet or like some orange sauce or you know general toe sauce they're they're quite sweet but what i've been eating growing up are like the recipes that I shared in this book. There are like noodles maybe mixed with a sesame sauce. There may be like a cucumber salad or like, you know, like a vegetable stir fry. Mm-hmm. And we do eat uh, meat, but usually it's like, a, you know, it's just one of the dishes or sometimes we use a little bit of meat in like soups and stir fries to add flavor. Is that changing in China too? Uh, is meat becoming a 
bigger part of the center yeah, of the plate? Yeah, for sure. It's getting more and more popular. <laughs> I, I definitely feel like more and more people like eat more meat. When you know the economy is getting better and people can't afford it, right. and there is more product available, and definitely there is like more meat in. Like you know, on the on the table these days, right? Yeah, which isn't necessarily a good thing, I guess. No, and I think it's a phenomenon that's happening all over the planet. I mean, people get a little bit better economically, and then more meat starts showing up in the meals. And, and I think you're right. Yep. Uh, I think you're right that most most countries around the world, you know, here we're used to plenty, but most countries around the world they eat more vegetable than they eat meat because just because it's easier to grow vegetable than it is to grow meat. And it's know, delicious it's, it's, too. Yeah, it's very very healthy for you. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I understand all that. That's very cool. Mackie, have you seen? Can you figure out why or how the the cuisine started changing to these what we know like at uh, uh, in many American Chinese restaurants? You know, the heavy mm-hmm. brown sauce on chicken, almond chicken, or the sweet and sour sauce on pork. Uh, it just seems universal in this area that that has kind of happened over the years. It is very universal. I actually, uh, I, ha- I think I read it somewhere. It's actually an organization that helps like early immigrants to establish, you know, to, to, to do something to, to make a living. So it's this uh, organization that they have this really uniform, you know, format like, oh, you, you just design your menu this way and this is what you do. And then you, you people will like it. Mm-hmm. And the way the flavor developed was because I think a lot of early immigrants, I, I feel like they might have tried different things, but then they are the things that stick that people like the most. Right. And, you know, things like, because I feel like Chinese people, they work really hard and they are really smart about like trying to make money, mm-hmm. you know, instead of like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to stick to like super authentic. But I feel like most people are very resourceful and they start to adapt more right. and they figure out, oh, you know, when we fry this, it, it sells better. So they just make it you know, more and more to what it, it is, you know, like taste like now. Right. Exactly. That's how I feel. And, like. and I think, I think yeah. like every generation, once you get to second generation or third generation, like you probably are, you start wanting to bring back what's actually real from your country. And that, to me, exactly. that, makes, that, makes, yeah. that makes total sense. And it, and it is your duty. I think it's our duty as foreigners when we come to America, especially after a generation being here, to just want to do that, to want to bring... Go back to scratch? Yeah, to go back and bring the real thing, you know, because it is true. I agree with that. It, it's the same thing with French food, Italian food, or whatever. So much bastardization has happened. And it's just... It's not bastardization. It's accommodation to the people here mm-hmm. on what they know and what they like, as opposed to what you actually used to have as a child in your country. And it's great that you want to bring this back. I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. Bravo. Thank you. And, yeah, I do agree that uh, these days you, can, you will see more, especially New York or I'd say uh, some other major cities like L.A., you will see more and more, like, new immigrants or second generation, they start restaurants that are more authentic to what we eat in China. Mm-hmm. They appreciate what they're missing in some ways, too, because uh, mm-hmm. uh, they, maybe they, the, the mom and dad had to cook American style just to survive, but now they appreciate after, after uh, a time of that. And the public is also more open than it was 50 years ago. For sure. You yeah. know, they're more, they're more knowledgeable. Well, of course, you know my dad. My dad took me to my first Chinese restaurant, and we had a big old pile of sweet and sour pork and, and egg rolls, and that yeah. was that was Chinese food. Right, and so that's you know that's how I got my start in that cuisine. And 
Thankfully, it has morphed a little bit from there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thankfully. Okay, Maggie, we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about some of the fabulous recipes in your new book called Chinese Homestyle, Everyday Plant-Based Recipes for Takeout, Dim Sum, Noodles, and more. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right. Kitchen with Maggie Zhu. Uh, her new book, Chinese Homestyle, is uh, hitting the shelves, and she's, I believe, going to be available at the book larder. Is that what you said? Yes, now? and she's doing an event there. Nice. So look for that at the book larder website. Uh, Maggie, we talked a little bit about your background in the first segment. Let's talk about this book and some of the recipes in it and some of the must-haves for your Chinese pantry. Uh, so I've, I, I, in this chapter, I try to really narrow it down to for the uh, for my audience. So you don't, I, I, I hope people don't feel like they have to buy a thousand things to be able to make some Chinese food. I hope uh, people to to get a few essential ingredients, mm-hmm. and those should help them make a lot of the dishes. And I feel like if you get the correct brand, you know, the the one that you actually make a trip to Asian market. And they're really all very affordable. And if the sauces are good, and this is already like you're already like halfway through the cooking, like the dish will just taste better right, when right. you get the sauce right. So um, I, I jumped right into the black bean sauce. It's yeah. one of my favorite. I might make my own version of it with uh, peppers that my wife grows over at our farm and uh, with, uh, fermented salted black beans and uh, garlic and deliciousness. Yeah. And I love having that around, both because it's tasty and also because I made it. I feel ownership to it. That is, uh, you don't get when you just buy a jar off the shelf. Oh, it's definitely so much better when you make, it, make them at home because it's fresher. Right. And I do use a lot of, like, I, I use way more aromatics, like ginger, garlic, and onion in this. And you, you, you cook it to release their flavors. It's just, like, so much more, uh, like, richer than a, than a stored bottle. Mm-hmm. True for everything you make. When, well, you, when you make it, it usually tastes a lot better than what you buy in store. A lot of it's emotional. It's like, yeah. uh, it's like when you grow the carrot, it tastes, tastes better. Well, plus, whether you're going to put passion into this because mm-hmm. you're making something that's going to be lasting in your refrigerator. It's not even just like a dinner. It's like something that you're going to be giving it away as a jar yeah. or whatever. So you're spending even more time on it. Yes, please try it. Make it once. Take your time and make it once. It doesn't take that mm-hmm. long. Just get the best ingredient you can find, yeah. like, like for anything. Maggie, so uh, Americans are, have fallen in love over the years with Chinese barbecue pork, uh, char siu, mm-hmm. and you have a char siu sauce recipe. What's the trick? Oh, it's, so I use uh, that char siu sauce. It actually has one secret ingredient. Uh, it's a fermented bean curd. Mm-hmm. It's an ingredient from northern China. So those are uh, tofu that is fermented in like a, a salted brine. Mm-hmm. It's like very, very savory. So instead of making a sauce, because, you know, uh, char siu sauce is sweet. 
you know, it's like a sweet uh, right. sauce. But I added my interpretation, like I added some uh, vegetarian oyster sauce, which is made from mushroom, and then those uh, bean curd, along with the sugar. I just feel like, you know, when you use, especially when, when you only have like plant-based ingredient, you, you know, usually it's made from pork, but here I use mushrooms. Mm-hmm. But with like those small umami bombs, you know, like fermented goods, it just makes the sauce much, much more flavorful and interesting than a sugary sauce. No, it sounds really good. Another recipe that really caught my eye in your book is scallion pancakes. And I, I use these as kind of a the, uh, litmus test of a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant sometimes. True. Because mm-hmm. every place that has them, I try them. And very few places have them where they're homemade. And yours looks so fabulous in this book. Thank you. It, it takes a minute to make, I have to admit, you know, like kneading the dough and like putting it together. I, I do include it step-by-step step pictures uh, because I personally like to um, put a lot of scallion in it. It's mm-hmm. just like so tasty. And the one, one key is that when you, you know, the oil layer, when you do the oil layer, so you, what you do is use to use the oil and a little bit of flour to make a roux. You know, instead of just brush oil, which is a lot of recipe do, yeah, this way that the oil kind of stick better onto mm. the dough. So when you roll it up, it doesn't like squeeze out as much. Oh, yeah. And then you can make like a really layered uh, pancake. Mm-hmm. Nice idea. Thank you. Yeah. And the technique is awesome, too. Your pictures are perfect because people don't understand how when you cook the, the scallion pancake, you want it to uh, be flaky, almost like a croissant flaky. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's hard to achieve, especially Crispy, with the frozen yeah. ones you buy in the grocery store. The other thing about these is you can make a bunch of them, freeze them, and then cook them freeze. to order whenever right. you want to. It's I super good. I also really like the fact that you took all those vegetables for the prep earlier and show all the different cuts. You know, how many ways can you possibly cut a, you know, a, a vegetable mm-hmm. or leafy green or... Or yeah. white, you know, it's it's a beautiful thing to do because I think most cooks at home, you know, they're not quite sure or they just they don't think it's sometimes important. Where I think it's very important. The shape of the vegetable. The shape of the vegetable. Oh, very important. Very, very important. Of course, it's very important. It's like things like bok choy. We separate the whites and the grains. And the white, you cut it a little bit smaller because, you know, it takes longer to cook. And the the grain, you leave them bigger because, you know, it's shrank. It's just like, it's really important. Or you cut it on top. You give it some mark so then it can cook faster. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of different tricks. And I thank you for putting that in the book. Because that's a great, great step in. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could have done more. Like, maybe for the next one. <laughs> I do like those prep pictures, yeah. Yeah. I know, Pamela, you, were, uh, you don't go out to dim sum very much because you think it's, it's too meaty and icky for you. But if you look at the vegetable dim sums <laughs> oh, in this book. I know. This is cha- uh, going to change my the, opinion. Was there one, like, to me, the bamboo shoot and mushroom stuffed yuba rolls. Looks incredible. Looks incredible. And... and uh, Maggie, is that the tofu skin that you use to make those rolls, or is that yes, different? Yes, yes, it's yubashi. It's pre- pretty much it's a do- tofu product. It's made with soybean and water, mm-hmm. but it has it's paper thin and it has really nice tender texture. And they don't, you know, they don't fall apart that easy. And right. you can use it as a wrapper. And it, you know, it's like pro- it's a protein wrapper that has like a really soft texture. And but but when you fry them on the pan, it kind of crisp up, crisp up a little bit. Very so good. It's like, Very yeah. good idea. I've never used that Brilliant. product. I'm going to use that. Oh, yeah. Delicious. Yeah. That sounds sounds beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Another one, cumin baked, uh, cumin potato baked buns. Now, when I go for dim sum myself, I'm much, 
when it comes to buns or bows, uh, I tend to go for the baked over the steamed. Uh, so, I, of course, I was drawn to this baked bun. What's the trick there? Uh, it's actually really easy. You just make a very thin, uh, make a dough that is pretty much just flour and water and uh, roll it out. Like, you know, kind of like a, this is like a large dumpling. And I, I cook the vegetables like it's a, the potatoes, potato center with uh, like some, some onions and I season it with cumin powder. It's actually a, a flavor profile from Xinjiang, which is, uh, you know, it's located west, west part of China. And uh, that part of a country has a, it's mostly like Muslims. And so the flavors are kind of like those, like, you know, kebabs. And those like Middle Eastern flavors, so they they you know they cook with like onions and tomatoes and peppers and you know potato. So I kind of take so this is their this is one of the dishes that was original made with lamb and mm. I made with I made this into a plant based using the kind of like the flavor profile in, mm. from that region, and the, these uh, dishes are usually original made like none. You know, like they use like a giant stove, like it's like a pit, like a tandoori and you just kind of put pit. The, yeah. yeah, and you just like bake them. But you know, I, I use a home oven to bake them. So delicious. One thing, you know, when I go out for Chinese uh, with other people, everyone always wants the dry fried string beans, and, and they have no idea that they're not dry fried; they're deep fried string yeah. beans. It makes me crazy, Maggie. How do you get around the, all the deep fried vegetables? You don't have to fry. You don't have to deep fry. I know. I never deep fry those at home because it's like it doesn't. It doesn't make sense for me to like you make a side dish like bring me into to and use like four cups of oil. That's just insane. Yeah. No, of course. Uh, so but, what, but you can yeah. blister in a wok, right? Yeah, you like a frying pan, like any pan. Yeah. Yeah. You you put in a, like you don't even need to use like too much oil. I feel like enough to cover the bottom of the pan, yeah. and you use high heat, and you just need to give it some time because, you know, take it maybe like five, six minutes for it to blister and it's, it starts to turn a little bit tender and, you know, that's when it's like you get that really nice, like, charred texture. Mm-hmm. You don't have to deep fry them. Right. I agree. Totally. I think just toss them in a and little bit. And crisp the pork in there too, yeah. Yeah, toss <laughs> them in a little bit of oil and salt paper and then throw them in that saute pan. Yeah. And you, if you're patient and you get high heat, don't be afraid of high heat. You know, just yeah, use, and, uh, a, use a Sometimes we even use an air fryer. Yeah. You know, you'll spray some oil through an air fryer, and it will get the good texture. Yeah. All right. We've been talking with Maggie Ju. She is the author of Chinese Homestyle, Everyday Plant-Based Recipes for Takeout, Dim Sum Noodles, and more, uh, because um, we're just not used to cooking in a real high f- uh, fashion, I don't think, when it comes to Chinese food. But sign up and go to that class she's doing. At Book Larder. At, At Book, Book Larder. Larder. Yeah. yeah. It'll be super fun. Yeah. Uh, if you've never been to Book Larder, it's over in Fremont, and it's, uh, it's, it's terrific. So, Okay, thank you, Maggie. Thank you so much. All the best of luck. Mama keep the pots and pans in the kitchen. I'll be banging on the pans in the kitchen. So mama don't be trying to hide the pans in the kitchen. I like playing with the pans in the kitchen. Mama, you gon' let me play with the pans in the kitchen. Mama, don't get what you say about the pans in the kitchen, mama. I'm gonna prove that I'm the man in the kitchen, mama. If I had a mushroom, I'd tell you what I'd do. I would take that mushroom and split it in two. Oh, if I had a mushroom, I'd tell you what I'd do. I would take that mushroom, and I hope that you would too. All right, it's time to eat some mushrooms, the spores of the earth. 
are, are dangling uh, under our trees. The jewel of the Pacific Northwest. The jewels. One of the reasons I moved up to Seattle, Washington. I'm always surprised at how many places mushrooms grow. Pam, you, your interest in this is that there's so many ways to cook them. Which is best? I, yeah, because is, that a, is that just an American thing that always, always wants to know what's best? Yeah. Not so much uh, best, but how to get the most flavor out of them without overcooking. Because usually I stay in that very safe zone with the button, cremini, portobello. But um, last week... I said, I need shiitake. I've got to figure out. But they have a completely different texture. And uh, I was making some black cod because, you know, I've been on a black cod Mm -hmm. kit. I wanted to uh, get them crispy. But then I said, well, in taking them crispy with a lot of soy sauce, maybe I negated the characteristic that is truly shiitake-esque. You are so... Bewildered for no for no good reason. I know, okay. I know. She yeah. she worries about the wrong thing. I know. Okay, so it's so funny because it's. I think that you represent a lot of people out there yeah. that are yeah. that uh, for because sure. you don't know like, all the different angle. Yeah, you know we don't think like that because we have many different ways to get to one place. But when you only know a couple places, you worry about things like this, which we, I don't. So think far about as far that. as over, you know, cooking them till they're properly cooked, <laughs> you can eat mushrooms raw. So. Yeah. The only reason you don't want to eat mushrooms raw sometimes are like the king bolitas or something where they might have worms in them, and you want to make sure you get those all cooked and killed or some sort of parasite or something. And you can see them generally when you slice down a, a bolitas, a mushroom, or a porcini. You can s- just slice through the stem, and you'll see them moving if there's worms in them. So, but, uh, worms are good for you. Oh, okay. No, they're not Nut- good for nutrient dense. Not good yeah. for you, yeah. So anyway, so that's just that's about the only thing on the criminis, all the farm raised shiitakes are farm raised now, oyster mushrooms. Those are all edible raw, and then you can take them to wherever you want to. I'm not a big fan personally. I'm not a big fan of shiitake raw, but I've done shiitakes grilled, and I've done shiitakes roasted, and I've done shiitake dried, and I've done shiitake sauté, um, and in stews. I love them. You know, I used to make this sauce to go with fish, which would have sauteed shiitake. Grated ginger, fresh ginger, shallots, and pig's feet, and vermouth. Pet the pork. And butter. And then that would be the sauce for a beautiful um, black sea bass. Mm. <gasps> that mm. was so yummy. But the point was to the shiitake, then you just saute them gently in butter, like white foamy butter. Saute them nicely until they're nice and a little bit tender. Put in your grated ginger and your chopped shallots. At the same time, sweat the whole thing up. A little bit of dry vermouth. Reduce that down, not get the butter, and you get a wonderful sauce on your hand. I think you, uh, that's what I was worried about, that by trying to get the shiitake crispy and taking him past that moist stage, it lost the flavor. Oh, no, no, you don't lose Sh- it. Shiitakes are not very moist. They're not, they're not a moist nope. mushroom. You simply slice them to the thickness that you desire. Do the same thing you do with roasted cauliflower or broccoli or yeah. carrots or anything. Yeah. Put a little olive oil on top, whatever seasoning you want. And bake them in the oven until they become the texture that you want. You can take them all the way to a p- potato chips. Remember, mushrooms are 90% water. Mm-hmm. So as you take them down and reduce, reduce, reduce them, their moisture content, the stronger the flavor comes out. Right. That's why button mushrooms are so good when they're cooked all the way. And you just cook, 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 and get rid of the water and yeah. just with the mushroom flavor. Intensify, yeah, no, yeah absolutely. And, and well, let's switch to oyster, the oyster mushrooms. Love oyster mushroom, too. They're easy to get well, around. I want to stay on shiitake for one second before okay. we jump into that. If you go to uh, Chinatown or the International District, many of those Asian cultures use dried shiitake mushrooms. Right. And then they braise them 
in hot pots or something. If you look at any umami packet that you see in the grocery store now, you'll see that they take the raw dried shiitake, powder them, and that's the basis for an umami packet. It's oftentimes powdered shiitake because it has that great woodsy flavor to it. But it also, when you use rehydrated dried shiitakes, it's another very different texture. Mm. They get spongy, and you see those in hot pots, all sorts of Asian cuisine. So, yeah, the, um, the powder is actually a great idea because you don't have the texture of the mushroom coming back, but you do get the intensity of the flavor. So a little, you know, if you have a nice little broth of any kind, vegetarian, whatever, chicken, and you throw in a little bit of that mushroom in there, wow, it just yeah. changes drastically. Okay, Pro tip. mushrooms. Yeah. <coughs> they seem so much more delicate. Well, that's just because they have a leafy kind of yeah, uh, the, uh, leafy shape yeah, to them. They're more fragile. More fragile. It depends I think on what you want to end up with. So, again, you can grill them, put them in. Uh, you know, there's not something that you can grill like a shiitake. They'll fall through the grate. Yeah. So you use a perforated uh, vegetable grill oh. pan or something on the charcoal grill or you saute them. Taking them down all the way to the kind of golden brown and dark and crunchy and lusciousness is the way I like them. Because they get, uh, don't you think they're a little mushy? Kind yeah. of just have lightly sautéed. They're a bit spongy. Spongy. I think that's yeah. more the, the word of it. It's a bit spongier than than shiitakes. They don't dry out quite the same, and I, they don't make a great dry mushroom because they don't really have intensified the, flavor like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so I wouldn't waste my time drying it. But um, I use a, a iron plancher. You know, you put on your stove and yeah. get it Perfect. super super hot. And then I take my matsutake, my um, uh, oyster. uh, oysters, and I toss them in a little bit of oven. oyster mushrooms. Oyster mushroom, yeah. Oyster mushroom. I cut the usually I cut. You know they have a little stem. I usually cut those stems off and put that in my freezer bag with my next stock, and then just keep the cap, and then put them in a little bit of uh, argan oil, salt and pepper, and then put that on the plancher. Mm. And it gives it a, the argan oil accentuate the nuttiness, and I think you could use that sesame oil we just had today. You know, that, that sesame oil we had, super delicious. That would give that nuttiness accent to those mushrooms and give it a nice sear. Mm. They do super well with that, and it's a great garnish in a salad. You know, if you do like a, a sauteed, uh, I mean, uh, if you take endive, radicchio, and throw in those, those um, mushrooms in there, oh, it makes for a beautiful little salad, walnut, toasted walnut. Chef, what mushrooms are out there that you wouldn't waste your money on? I, the one that comes to my mind the most that you see that are they're, they're, I think they're actually an oyster varietal a mus- mushroom but like the um, king abalone or king yeah. oyster mushrooms I would not they have zero flavor yeah I could see where somebody might like the texture because they cut like a steak right but from a flavor perspective I would much rather have a button mushroom at one half to one yeah. quarter of the price the best mushroom steak is the puffball mushroom if you can get to a farmer's market and get one of those puffball you steak it brown butter Salt, pepper, you get the most beautiful mm. piece of mushroom steak on your hand. A little finish in your butter, finish a little bit of sherry vinegar, and then toss the whole thing over the mushroom. You'll have a wonderful piece of steak on your hand. So if you only could cook it one way, Pam's original question was grilled, sautéed, or roasted, right? <laughs> what would you choose? I think I'm going to go with sauté because it's the most, for me, it would be the most diversified way to use it. But I don't think you should stuck yourself to anything of that silly uh, one day you're in, a, you're in a hurry, you get three other things to do. Take the mushroom, toss them in a little bit of boil, uh, in, a, in a bowl with a little bit of oil, put them on a sheet pan, 425, 250 in the oven, 
while you're doing something else, that those mushrooms are roasting and they will come up beautifully. The other thing you can do with mushrooms that, uh, as far as preserving them, uh, saute them like, when you, like we talked about the buttons all the way down till they're completely cooked in butter and then freeze them in the butter in, and then they, you can pull them oh, out. Oh, that's a great idea. sometimes you buy a little pack of mushrooms and you don't need them or use yeah. them all, but then they go bad in your fridge. Don't let it Mushroom go bad. Mushroom is a much better product frozen cooked than it is yeah. raw. Okay. You can't really do it raw. Uh, raw, that's, that's when it a good comes tip. out, it loses all its water. Okay, yeah. we got a, a full more hour, as they would say on uh, Sirius Satellite Radio. A full more hour. We have ordinary to extraordinary cream cheese. Make your own crackers. A chef ta- challenge with a whole chicken. And, of course, we'll end with the Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show, our number two coming your way. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And you know, often I don't mention all the places that I have open. You know, it's the number one question I get asked when I see people out and about, do you, do you have any restaurants anymore? Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's so funny. But yes, we do have restaurants. We've got the Carlisle Room. We've got Hot Stove Society, which is where we are right now, of course. Lola downstairs is open. Dahlia Bakery across the street, along with Sirius Pie. Sea Town in the Market area, Rub Shack, Etta's Big Mountain Barbecue. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, we got lots going on. Ballard, and Totem Lake. Totem Lake. Yeah, Totem don't Lake forget, you're starting to expand your horizon here. <laughs> so, yes, we're doing really good, and we're really thankful for all the people that have helped uh, keep us going over the last three years. You know, we're coming up March 16th. will be three years since we closed the doors. Two? Two three. years? Three. Three. Since we, yeah. Oh, my God. Isn't that amazing? The pandemic started... Yep. Time flies so quickly here. We're really trying to get Palace Kitchen open on the day that we closed. Oh, um, that's quick. Yeah, but we'll see. We're trying hard, but it's, uh, it's difficult. I'll tell you one thing. People the- talk to me about Palace Kitchen all the time. When is, is Tom ever going to reopen that? Yeah. I'm like, well, you should ask him. Well, should I, well And they have. And yes, we are. <laughs> um, cream cheese. Let's take it to the next level, Chef. Uh, you have talked a little bit about using my uh, veggie rub, which Pam yeah. helped develop. Uh, uh, here on your popcorn. Your wife likes it on her popcorn. She but loves it, and actually, I love it too. It's really good. It's very, I mean, popcorn by itself is pretty boring. Well, you're French, so you don't and have then, an appreciation for it. Like, wait, wait, no, no, no. I'm saying popcorn by itself is pretty boring, and popcorn with cinema uh, butter is disgusting. And you mean coconut oil. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, unless you take your own brown butter and your butter and melt it down to a brown color and then pour that all over your popcorn and toss it around, then that's worthy of putting butter on your popcorn. Mm-hmm. But very importantly, Kathy puts the veggie rub on the popcorn, and it's really, really delicious. A lot of it falls to the bottom, but sure. that's just the way it is. Yeah. And, uh, but it's really good. Good flavor. So we're going to make cream cheese out of it today. And so the veggie I'm not, rub... I'm not putting that on my popcorn. <laughs> the cream cheese. Well, we're, we're taking cream cheese to another level. And if you go into any sort of Jewish deli where you'll see cream cheese either has chive or smoked dill. salmon or dill or 
You can buy it lots of different ways. And that's pretty much just trickled down to mainstream markets, too, where you have some cream cheese options. But it's so easy to flavor it yourself. Yeah. The rub with love, uh, what we're doing is very simple, but yeah. you, can, you can skip that if you choose at your own peril. Uh, but, you know, you can make toasted garlic right on your stovetop and then add that to the cream cheese. There's yeah. a million things you could do. What are some I, ideas? I think that then cream cheese is kind of like doing compound butter with it. You know, when you take butter and you add anything to it, mm-hmm. it's the same thing with cream cheese. Cream cheese is a vessel. It's not very strong on flavor. It's a beautiful spread. It's got good texture. All you need is a little uh, help from your neighbor. So you just go to the garden and slice a bunch of chives. You get, put that in your cream cheese, some cracked pepper, a little bit of salt, or finishing salt on top. And you got a wonderful garnish to cured salmon, smoked salmon. Many of those different dishes that have kind of a, an appetizer daily kind of, kind of function. It's a beautiful spread to put on the toasted bagel. I mean, toasted bagel and cream cheese and uh, chives... Lots of chives, by the way. When I say chives, I don't mean like three pieces of chives. I mean like lots of chives. So there is actually that flavor. And a little piece of smoked salmon on top of that. You're in heaven. I love to take a chorizo. You know, you can get the good Spanish yeah. chorizo. Mince it. Saute it. Put some smoked paprika on top of it. And then mix that with cream cheese. And you get a little chorizo cream cheese. Yeah. Really, really good. <laughs> that was your broccoli. It's delicious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, bagel is the classic. Right. You know, they had that scare. Remember, I think it was about this time last year where they started to run out of cream cheese in New York and people were freaking out. But they should move to Philadelphia. Isn't it where it's from? <laughs> yeah. Philadelphia brand cream cheese. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. If, if our producer would have thought to look up where Philadelphia cream cheese is from, I bet it's from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's not from Philly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but cream cheese is, is a definitely, and it's also, by the way, have you ever cooked with cream cheese? Like you put it at the end of a sauce, like reduce some white wine and then mix a little cream cheese. I've done it by accident because I was out of sour cream uh-huh. or creme fraiche. And I, all I had was cream cheese. I was like, well, let me try that. Yeah. It melts really nicely. Yeah, it works just fine. It's just, like, it's just like putting fresh goat cheese in the sauce, except it doesn't taste like goat cheese. It's just like cream cheese. There's one dish that uh, I think we even serve it here at the hot stove sometimes for an appetizer, but... I really don't care for it. What is that? Crab Rangoon. You know, oh, where yeah, you, mix you, know, the, you mix the it's, crab. It's funny because we just... The, oh, we, I just can't stand it. You know, I was talking about China Arbor. There was Crab Rangoon on the menu. Uh, and Kathy and I were talking about it. Because that's, that's like 1980s stuff, 1970s yeah, totally. stuff. Yeah, Trader Vic's kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that, you take crab and cream cheese, put it together, and put it in a wonton wrapper, right. and then deep fry it. And yeah. so... You get this molten lava when you bite into it. It's like, oh, my God, I just killed my mouth. Yeah. But it's funny how that became a big thing on all Chinese well, menu. Because it, you dip it in sweet and sour sauce. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. But it's, it's, I mean, it's, honestly, it's good to eat. Mm-hmm. It's just not something you want to eat every day, number one. But It's a know. good uh, binder. So if you're, say, you're making, um, what's that... Uh, Crepe that you roll with like a bechamel and mushrooms and like a jambon fromage, kind of yeah, idea? something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cream cheese or in some sort of uh, crepe, sure, uh, by itself with some fresh fruit. Uh, it's yeah. a nice combination. It's with also cream great with uh, whipped cream. If you take some whipped cream and bind it gently into your cream cheese, mm-hmm. it will soften it down and make it much lighter of a product. 
So if you're using fresh That's strawberries, what I do with sour cream. I don't do that with cream cheese, but yeah, we, in uh, you can you can do it with sour cream and I mean uh, cream cheese, and it's nice on strawberry. You know when strawberries are in season, you macerate them a little bit with a bit of cracked pepper and a little bit of sugar, and then you put that nice little cream and cream cheese on top. It's actually quite lovely, but it's also good as a binder, like you said, in terrine. Like if you're laying down, I used to do a smoked salmon terrine. And cream cheese was in between the layers, a flavored cream cheese of, um, again, chopped shallots, a little bit of garlic, uh, cracked pepper, and chives, and then put that in between the layers of the smoked salmon, and then pack it in overnight, and then the next day you unmold it and slice it, and you have a beautiful salmon terrine. Salmon terrine, lovely. Great item for lunch, for brunch. If you're inviting people over, it's a great item. It's a showstopper, too. It looks so pretty. yeah. Yeah, it looks so pretty. We with our eyes a lot of times. That's right. All right, don't be intimidated by crackers. This is something you could use with the cream cheese. Too Absolutely. Well. They go crackers. hand in hand. Yeah. Homemade crackers on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Bagels and cream cheese. I like my bagels and cream cheese. Bagels and cream cheese. Bagels and cream cheese. I like my bagels and cream cheese. Bagels and cream cheese. Bagels and cream cheese. Cheese and crackers, anyone? I said no. Okay, let's talk crackers. Who was the famous, the Marx Brothers, right? Wasn't the na- that the name of their animal crackers? Wasn't that the name of one of their movies? I, yeah, 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 yeah. I won't so, know that, Tom. Mistaken. You're the one who knows that. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rochero, the chef in the hat. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society show. We're talking crackers uh, because right. you make me crackers. There's so many good ones out there. It's a shame to even think about making your own. And I'll start with the one that I know our producer Pamela and I love. And nobody really knows this, but uh, th- these crackers are made by a woman named Joan McIsaac. And when I uh, started a second restaurant, we had the Dahlia and then we were getting ready to start a second rec- restaurant. So I couldn't be the chef anymore at the Dahlia because I was going to be over the two. So I hired, I, I promoted one of our cooks to, uh, to be the chef of the Dahlia in 1993 or so, I'll say. And her name was Joan McIsaac. She was from Boston and it was terrific. And at that time, we had several terrific uh, cooks in our kitchen. We had Philip Mahalski. From Nell's over, right. uh, we had Jonathan Sundstrom with Lark uh, in the kitchen at that time. We had Holly Smith with Holly, Cafe yeah. Juanita in the uh, kitchen at that time. Yeah, you oh. had a serious crew in there. Yeah, that's an array of talent there. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we had a, we had a beautifully talented Shelley who went on to write all of our cookbooks was in the kitchen. Steven Steinbach who went down to. Uh, I've worked with for, for many, many years, uh, taught me a lot about cooking. and We had a very strong kitchen and was trying to decide which chef of the chefs who was going to stay at the Dahlia and who was going to go open Etta's. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so uh, Matt, who's up at the uh, Inn at Langley. Oh, yeah, Matt, that's true. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, Joan went on to open a, a company called Effie's Homemade, which makes, I think, the best so fine. biscuits. I'll call them biscuits in the marketplace. They're hard to call crackers because they're so rich. Yeah. You know, I think of thick. crackers as being kind of dry, and, but they are so rich and delicious. And she has pecan version, a cornmeal version, oh. oat cracker. And in my house right now at Chef Shop yesterday, I got the rye. The rye, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Wow. Walnut. But so now they're I making I haven't tried with- that. I'm definitely going to try that. 
I like the idea of a rye cracker. Yeah. I'm a big fan of beautiful flavor for, you know, things like sausages or salamis, like charcuterie item, and for things like smoked salmon and stuff. Mm. I like, I I like, I prefer a rye than a a wheat. You know, it's like to me, it's like. For her oat crackers, I would say those are the best cheese crackers because they're the most uh, one dimensional as far as flavor profile. And I want, when I'm having a cracker with. Cheese. I want, uh, I want the cheese to be the star. Correct. Right. So, and you see all these ones out there. Not like Rain Crisp has all the nuts and the fruits in it. Yeah. I almost prefer those with a very bland cheese, like a brie or a, or you know, yeah. just a, a fresh goat or something. But nothing that's been ripened to its perfect state because because right. uh, that's the star. That's the star. Mm-hmm. I'd rather do that on plain baguette or right. something like that. So. We were talking about crackers here, and years ago, I made a seed bread, which could be a cracker or a, a, a bread. Uh, that we did like a, what we called eggplant caviar. Do you remember right. what the, that used to be so popular a way to talk about egg, forgot about that. Like grilled roasted eggplant that was then pureed and, yeah. and was called eggplant caviar. Um, we, and we made our own seed bread. And it's just a baking powder seed bread, which is actually really just a cracker. Lots of fun. It's in my first book. Uh, and the bread itself has flour, sesame seeds, poppy seeds, fennel seeds, salt, baking powder, black pepper, water, and olive oil. And that's it. And then you just roll it out and you bake it. And, What's or you baking? can pan fry it. For us, we pan fried it in olive oil to order right. and then served it oh, around wow. the... Oh, so it would puff too? Yeah, it would puff yeah, a little bit. because of the baking powder. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask why do you put baking powder in there, but yeah. it, does bring, it brings a puff yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. It cooks super fast and yeah. you just... Put a nice little bowl of the eggplant caviar out and then surround it with warm... In a dry skillet? Warm. Like, how do you fry no, your bread? Oh. Well, so, yeah, a warm uh, seed bread along with that. So the question on the table is, buy crackers or homemade crackers? Do you have a favorite cracker recipe to make it yourself? No. no. I, I wouldn't say I have a favorite, but I've, I have made cracker many times, especially at, during the Rover's era. We used many different kind of crackers to put underneath as a vessel for carrying little uh, amuse-bouche, you know, what you bring to the table, the beginning of a meal, um, you know, like things like olives, and, you know, we use all kinds of different things, anchovies, uh, black garlic. But what about the cracker itself? The cracker dough is very simple. It's flour, water, salt, and a little bit of olive oil. Mm-hmm. The whole thing mixed together, let it sit, and then roll it. And it's a, it's a bit of a roller. It's a, it's a tough roller. <laughs> As in, it's not. Well, if you used a pasta machine, you could roll it out. You could use a pasta machine. Get it thin enough. That's Wouldn't much you want easier. A pasta machine? Yeah. yeah, use a pasta machine and get it very thin, and then cut your shape you want. Uh, cut the shape you want, and then uh, no, before you cut, this is when you put all your ingredients on it. Like, um, if you have an olive tapenade with olive oil, for example, super fine, super super fine, you brush it. You don't. Cover it, but you brush it. Wait, wait, go back. So is the cracker finished at this point? No, the cracker is raw. Okay. And it's not cut. It's not cut into shape yet. Like mm-hmm. it's not individually cut. I individually cut after I put things on top. Does so that make sense? You, so the, if you're if you're not cut, if, like if you're cutting into circles, you end up with a little bit of waste or Correct. chef treat, Correct. right? Yeah, okay. chef treat. Exactly what it is. <laughs> chef treat, as always. So you bake it with the top knot on it. Correct. Oh, nice. Yeah, and what you end up with is a cracker that's kind of a bit drier tapenade on top, but then you can put something else on top of that. So, for example, if you have a smoked neck lamb, I, everybody should have smoked neck lamb in their refrigerator. Something of that nature, some kind of a cut meat. You laugh, but I always keep smoked duck breast. 
Yeah. No, yeah. I mean. It's a quick appetizer. Yeah. yeah. Take that, chop it fine, make a nice little uh, mix of olive oil and harissa. Put that as, as a little kernel right on top of your cracker. And you look like Martha Stewart. But that you do after it's baked. Yes, of course. Everything yeah. is after it's baked. Yeah. The, the, the uh, cracker itself is done as soon as you put it in the oven and you bake it. Mm-hmm. That's it. You keep it on the side. Um, I would say that if you have the dough made, don't bake unless you're going to eat. Meaning that you got to eat those crackers within the next couple of days. Just keep the dough in the freezer and then take it out as you need it. Put it in small packages. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's easy because one... One little bit of dough can make a lot of crackers. You know, one of the most famous crackers in the marketplace today is called La Panzanella crackers. I love right? La Panzanella. And Chiro, uh, years ago, when he was doing bread and driving it around the city to all the yep. Italian restaurants, he started making these crackers uh, up, and he would put, run his cracker dough. Oh, that was your idea? Uh, Bridget saying that was her idea. He would run his dough through the pasta machine and get that really nice, thin cracker and then yeah. bake it in his bread ovens delicious cracker yeah. still to this day mm-hmm. i mean there is a lot of cracker on the market and i've had tried many uh some of them not too long ago i tried some pretty disappointing mm-hmm. i like beechers beechers has a good cracker it breaks easily when one it's of my toothsome yeah. but it's but it's delicious uh, cracker but uh, yeah i think la panzanella today has got very low competition on the market in terms of how good it is when i, I was a young rosemary chef, and black pepper yeah, yeah. La panzanella. when i was a younger chef uh, we would always buy the cars water yeah, 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 yeah. Was a, they seemed so groovy at the time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looking back they, was, were, they looking, were looking back you're like that wasn't a cracker that was a cookie <laughs> no well they have they have the water i mean they have one that's a little bit like la panzanella kind of texture right. but they also have the thicker wheat crackers and so let's just get out there buy some crackers make some crackers enjoy your life well said <laughs> i like that oh, bon, cracker. Bon appétit. okay a, a challenge coming up chef uh, pam is challenging us to make four chicken dinners out of one chicken all right let's do that when we come back on cairo radio it's the hot stove society show 97.3 fm For short times are ticking. If you want to live like a king, got to think like a chicken. Oh, and chicken wakes up to a new world every day. Far as the chicken's concerned, everything's a-okay. Ah, chicken, don't worry about nothing but clucking and the price. And we're back. Today. It's time for book, 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 book. <laughs> What do French chickens sound like? Uh, well, they do cut, 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 like everybody else. <laughs> <clears throat> but they don't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's, uh, Pamela, you have a challenge for us. Yes. Um, I think we all want to get used to just buying whole chickens so that we can get multiple meals out of it. So I'd like to see what direction each of you would go. And I want four different flavor results from one base chicken including how are you going to cook that chicken. Are so we cooking you, together or are we cooking? Is that eight results that you want? Eight. Eight results. So you have to be fast, Chef. I'll start. Number one. Show chicken me piccata. Chicken breast, pounded, seared, 
uh, big lem- big pieces of lemon zest and capers, a little butter sauce, white wine. <laughs> I like vermouth. This is my white wine because it's got an herbaceous quality. Oh, yeah. Chicken piccata. I'm <clears> done. Is it my turn? Yes, your turn. Whole roasted chicken stuffed with uh, citrus and rosemary, salt on the outside with butter under the skin, 425 degrees for about 40 minutes, and the last 20 minutes at about uh, 350, and um, you got a wonderful chicken on your hand from there. Okay, so, it. Chef, my turn now. But I'm just telling you, you've now got a whole roasted chicken. That, that's right. That's all you can use for the rest because she correct. only gave us one chicken. All right, I'm taking the thighs, and I'm cubing the thighs, putting them on a skewer, and I'm making a glaze, one tablespoon lemon juice, one tablespoon honey, one tablespoon of my 12 spice, uh, uh-huh. rub with love's 12 spice. Right. You could use Chinese five spice. And then you, you glaze it uh, for the last two minutes on the grill after it's pretty much cooked. You caramelize the glaze right on top of the kebab. Your turn, chef. Well, I'm going to take one leg because it's a big chicken. It's I'm cooked gonna... leg, right? Yeah. It's okay. a cooked leg. I'm going to take the leg. I'm going to take it off the bone, and I'm going to take the meat and dice it and do it with toasted almond, um, diced celery, and a endive and radicchio arugula salad. Mm. A dash of sesame oil and a little bit of soy sauce and a bit of Dijon mustard to bind the whole thing up together. Toss the whole thing together and... We have my uh, little uh, roasted chicken, Asian style, because of the soil. Okay, I'm going Asian style right on top of you. I'm going to take my favorite baba, babar chicken dish, which is that little, I think they call it Saigon chicken salad, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And it's cabbage, uh, and it's shredded cooked chicken, light or dark. I think they use light. And it's got a sweet, sweeter kind of dressing with fish sauce, a little bit of sugar, lime juice, delicious just tossed and eaten in such a simple tasty little lunch it's served on the cabbage like on a slaw no it's, it's yeah the cabbage is in it in it it's a cabbage chicken salad. cabbage salad yeah i'm gonna take the breast and i'm gonna use a sauteed mushroom i'm gonna take some mushroom cubed sauteed in a brown butter shallots garlic thyme traditional mm-hmm. salt pepper i'm gonna put all the dice of the chicken i'm gonna dice it too i'm gonna toss it together with the with the um uh, mushroom, and use that as a base for a wonderful entree on the plate with some roasted broccoli on the side mm. and a nice. I'm going to take that pan, the, whatever is in that pan. I'm going to take the mushroom out and the chicken out. I'm going to deglaze with sweet vermouth. I mean, dry vermouth, not sweet, and um, dash of butter, and finish that with a bunch of tarragon and put that right over the whole mushroom and chicken. Sounds lovely, chef. Number four, Tom. Uh, number four, I'm going to take the wings and I'm going to marinate them in our classic Palace Kitchen wing marinade, which is Tabasco, mm. garlic, soy sauce, coriander chutney, and we're going to marinate, 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 and then we're going to cook them over an applewood charcoal fire. Ooh. Nice and hot. Get a good char on them. <laughs> Man. And then finish them in the oven. That's tasty. And then, uh, you know, they've been marinated. You have to take the marinade in something like that. You can't use the marinade straight. You have to cook it. Because it's like had the raw chicken in it, right? So then yeah. you take a couple of uh, ladles of that marinade, you reduce it down in a pan, and at the last minute you've got the smoky wings. You just toss them with the cooked marinade, serve them with a little sour cream. Oh. So good and smoky and tasty, and kick ass. So I'm uh, like spice I'm, I'm down to the rest of my chicken. So I'm going to take all the bones and make a beautiful stock, ah. and I'm going to take that stock and make a wonderful bean chard and colored green carrots, celery soup and uh, finish with all the meat diced in there and of course at the end I'm going to put a little bit of harissa 
at the end of my soup to just give it a kick. And there we go. I want a wonderful Italian chicken soup. 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 <laughs> well, I have one leg and thigh left, but my, my time is up. Is our time up or is our number up? The number's up. Yeah, I'm going to make meatballs out of my last <laughs> leg and thigh. I wasn't quite done with my other leg either. Uh, and I'm going to uh, make a little uh, Italian wedding soup with the meatballs. Yeah. Yes. I love that soup. But the key is you make your little uh, meatballs, lots of herbs and stuff. I put cheese in them, feta in them. But the key is you can't make a meatball bigger than the size of the spoon you're going to eat with. That's it right. It makes me crazy. One bite. When people put... Big chunks of things in soup that you kind of have to figure out how do I cut in how yeah, broth. Yeah, yeah. And it makes me crazy. And it, it happens should be all a the one time. bite thing. A one bite thing. And uh, with my leg, I'm going to do tacos because I love a good roasted yeah, chicken, chicken taco. taco. You know, you're using some of your uh, Tokyo rub just to give it a little bit of a zing. What? You're going to use yeah. Tokyo yeah. rub on your taco? Yeah, yes. No, taco. on my chicken. The chicken is roasted, the leg. I took the meat uh. out, mix it with a little bit of the Tokyo rub because it's got that zest to it. And maybe even some caramelized onion. Uh, sorry, some uh, 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 lemon is what I meant to say. Caramelized lemon added to that with avocado, a little bit of salsa, and uh, lots of cilantro and green onion. Mm -hmm. Mix the whole thing together. Put that in the taco. Oh, I'm so hungry right wow, now. I know. I could eat that right up. Oh. Since we still have time, I'm going to take the oysters out of the back. Of oh. the you know what the oysters? <laughs> and when I'm teaching a young chef how to butcher, yeah. I always say, if you can't get the oyster with when you've taken the you thigh don't know how off, to butcher. you're not allowed to cook in my That's kitchen, right. right? You have to That's learn right. how to get the oyster. But um, some fancy restaurants just serve the oysters. I used to be one of those fancy restaurants. Really? Uh, <laughs> and it's just that little... Nugget, nugget. Of meat that's it almost looks the like the best gizzard you could possibly eat. Yeah, it kind of looks that way, but it's not a super tender. And, yeah, it's and very delicious. Wait, are you taking it out from raw or after it's been cooked? From raw. Raw. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so you just something like that. I love to just do a little French style, like almost like a blanket de veau, yeah. but with the chicken oysters instead. Uh, <laughs> just a delicious thing served with uh, roasted so potatoes. Good. Yeah, normally yeah. style some salted yeah. mushroom and. Few things little, in there. Uh, oh. Apple, uh, apple and cider. And a nice dollop of creme fraiche yeah. at the end. Mm, oh, sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you got nothing. You got I'm, nothing. I'm to eating. I'm eating, what you, I'm eating what you just made. No, I'm yeah. going to take those same oysters and I'm going to wrap them up in puff pastry with a bit of um, oh, 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 oh. duxel, mushroom duxel, mm -hmm. yes. and a little bit of cheese. I'm going to put bake that in the oven and serve that as a little appetizer. Mm -hmm. I now have 10 spectacular ways to use chicken. I'm going to buy two chickens. I believe that was 12. You, you know, way, you know oh, yeah, I, when we added the oysters, that was that You know what I was going to put in that puff pastry is actually the liver of the chicken, which he didn't <gasps> use, but I was going to yes. take the chicken liver, pan saute quickly, diced, put that with the oyster. We call that the chicken oyster, what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Put that into the puff pastry and then bake that together. But why would you leave the heart and gizzards behind? Because so, to me, you just put those in buttermilk, you bread them with a little corn flour. That's what I was going to do. fry them and serve them with straight up hot sauce. I was going to... Crystal I was going to actually hot sauce. put them on skewer and really put them on the grill because your grill is still hot, so... <laughs> All right, listeners, get to the supermarket, buy a whole chicken. There's so many Make pieces it. you didn't even know existed. Yet. I know. I'm not even down yet, but that's okay. <laughs> And, right. and dig in on all 12 of these recipes and report back. That was 14. Uh, when we come back, let's jump into Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. Yay! <laughs> 
How do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door? With a thousand million questions about hate and death. And it's time for Rub With Love, Food for Thought, tasty trivia here on Cairo Radio. Rub With Love is a family of spice blends, tangy sauces, and a perfect shallot mustard. Keep them in your pantry to give flavor boost to any meal. Uh, if you need to pick up some Rub With Love, you can get all of our products here at the Hot Stove Society or Seatown Restaurant, uh, where, uh, over in Ballard where we actually make them, Sirius Pie. Uh, and then if you're out traveling out and about or listening to us uh, somewhere in the atmosphere, uh, you can uh, stop by Easy Orchards in Salem, Oregon, Smoke and Fire wow. in Overland Park, Kansas, or wow. Kowalski's Markets with multiple locations in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Uh, Pam, why don't you tell us how to play the game and uh, who these chumps are that are thinking, <laughs> think that they can take wow. these, these are not chumps. These are champions. Yeah, uh, wow. we have two champion chefs, Annie Elmore and Bridget Charters, that are teaming up against Tom and Terry separately. And uh, each of the contestants is going to get five questions. Yeah. And someone's going to win. News, the only good news of today is that they work here, so I don't have to give them any love with love. <laughs> In other words. Uh, as a prize. Okay, I think he's saying if you want to keep your job, you know what to do. So that being the case, if they happen to win, I am going to send a three-pack to three lucky listeners. How do they contact us? They send me an email. And uh, what's the code word for the win? For them to get the win. Rub for the win. Rub for the win. <laughs> and the genie will okay, come out. And, the, and the, we will send you, uh, send you uh, that's only three people, get a three-pack each. All right, Terry Rotro. Let's do it. Which of these fat sources has no cholesterol? This is multiple choice. Animal, vegetable, mineral. Mineral. Fats from vegetable sources, like those found in olive oil or almonds, contain Uh. no cholesterol. Which of these is off-limits if you are vegan? Broccoli, soy milk, or honey? Honey. Exactly. Uh, Number three, what is the word for securing poultry or other meats with strings, pins, or skewers to hold its compact shape? The word for skewer? You no. cube them, you... To tie up a roast. What do you call that? Oh, 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 sorry. I thought you said on the skewer. Uh, to tie up a roast, you call it... Um, dressing, you oh, dressing, you mean. Dressing. Oh, that's what you were looking for. <laughs> no, 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 because this. I was... Uh, you totally you threw me off because I heard skewer. <laughs> <laughs> what is the red grape variety in Romani Conti and Chambertin? Well, hmm. In all of Burgundy, it's Pinot Noir. Exactly. And finally, what is added to a bechamel sauce to make it a Mornay sauce? Cheese. Yes. Where How'd you go, do? Chef? I Way feel like those questions are not right. <laughs> Four out of five. What do you mean they're not right? We should have given Did you know the answer to them? <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're asking two of the hottest uh, hot stove chefs in the world. Uh, Annie Elmore and Bridget Charters are here. They're both instructors here, and Annie is the executive director now. Since Pam retired, uh, and so here we go. <laughs> this is a multiple choice team. Which of these types of fats are considered good fats by nutritionists? Partially hydrogenated fats, mono unsaturated fats, or polysaturated fats? Easy question for you girls. I'm not taking your fat class, I can tell. Mono, poly, or. Partially hydrogenated, Definitely mono unsaturated. 
or polysaturated. <laughs> B. That was, that was the answer good. is B. I think Tom is having a heart attack. If you right didn't now. know, if you didn't know the answer was B. If you didn't know about B, she she will tell you. Number two is also multiple <laughs> choice. Whole grains aren't found in which of these foods? White bread, flavored oatmeal, or brown rice? Okay, look that way. White bread. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it is. Number three. Please describe the texture of a mother of vinegar. It's like a kombucha. It's kind of a mat of sorts. It's very spongy. It's a disc. About an inch in... Depth. Yep. It's slimy and gummy. Slimy. Slimy and gummy, which is why I don't drink kombucha. <laughs> uh, number four, many people think that the Germans invented sauerkraut, but it was developed by laborers over 2,000 years ago. Where was it invented? China. Exactly. While they were building the wall. Huh. And finally, is fromage blanc a fresh or an aged cheese? Fresh. Yay! Oh, five out of five. <laughs> My God, what a surprise. didn't know that we were going to be the team. What a team. Living Hi, up to that chump label. <laughs> <laughs> um, number one, Mr. Douglas, court bouillon is traditionally used to poach seafood or vegetables. How is this broth made? Well, first you have to go to the royal court. Of, <laughs> or the tennis court. No, it's made, uh, it's usually white wine and water, some uh, vegetables like celery and carrots and onion or leeks. So it's, it's a light brothy, yep. delicious. Cooking various vegetables with Poaching herbs, with, yeah. usually including an onion studded with cloves. Yes. Yes. Number two, gum arabic is a natural additive used to thicken candy, ice cream, and syrups. What tree does it come from? The gum tree. <laughs> Ooh, they grow well yeah. here in Ballard yeah. or downtown. Oh, it would be. We have a gum tree in our yard in Prosser. You do? Yeah. It would be the acacia. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> Never three. <laughs> it's a type of gum tree. Yeah. <laughs> what is another name for edible kelp? Uh, edible kelp oh. is another name for it. Asian yeah. cookery. Seaweed. I, I, I don't know. What do you want from me? Kombu. Kombu is more like dried kelp that you you make a broth out of. Edible kelp. Kombu. Wrong. Never no, going anywhere. Not all oh. My God. What getting is, crushed. I crushed. Not only you don't get the hint, but you get beat up for it. Yeah. What is the name of the low-slung hardwood tree grown throughout the Southwest used in barbecuing and smoking? Acacia. <laughs> Mesquite tree. Mesquite. And finally, or hickory. Um, let's we'll see if you ever listen to me. What is the type of acid in spinach that inhibits the absorption of calcium and iron? You just said it earlier. Uh, oh, I know that ago. one. Do you? What is it? Do you want me to answer it? Yeah. Zinc? No. No. <laughs> no acid. It's acid. a type of acid. Acid. Uh, so it's not an amino acid. It is what kind of acid? Oxalic. Oxalic. I can't believe I didn't remember that. <laughs> thank, you for, uh, thank you for crushing me. Three lucky listeners who uh, email Pam at the Hot Stove Society mm-hmm. with the secret. I'm not going to say it again. They had to hear it the first time. Okay. Uh, so uh, we'll get a three-pack. Don't forget to include your address. 
Who won? <coughs> the girls won. Oh. Annie and Bridget if won. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. Also, remember, if you missed any episode of our Hot Stove Show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. You're listening to us uh, on Cairo, and the show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, Technical Director Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Thank you, and have a fabulous weekend. <laughs>